Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. So good to be with y'all today. And so, hey, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to go ahead and get right down to business. Uh, Turn there with me. Hey, before I get into the word today, let me say this. Uh, We are going to begin a brand new sermon series uh, the first Sunday of October. It's going to be a walk with Abraham. A walk with Abraham. So we're going to study Abraham in some pretty good detail. Now, y'all know what I can do with the series. I could stretch that thing out for like eight months or something or even longer. But we just have one month. Everybody say one month. One month to look at the life of Abraham. And so that's going to be awesome. I've actually, uh, I've talked to the other campus pastors. I called Pastor Jacob. I said, hey, I'm doing this series. You want to do it with us? He's like, man, a God. Yes, so uh, they're going to do it in Lafayette, and I haven't heard back from Pastor Gabe yet. I think he's going to do it. Pastor Chris Reese is going to do it. So we're going to be, uh, for the most part, all of us doing this series together. But how many of y'all love the Word of God? No matter what we go through, it's just the Word of God. So uh, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to that. But here's where we are in this series, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Oh, hey, I forgot to tell you something. We're in the Lord's Prayer, but y'all know what I'm going to do in the spring leading up to Good Friday? You're supposed to say, what, Pastor Scott? <laughs> I'm going to do a series on the Lord's Supper. Oh, y'all felt that. Yeah. So we're doing the Lord's Prayer. Now we're going to do the Lord's Supper then. And y'all, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's not just a, it's not a series just on what we do here when we take communion. It's much bigger than that. And so it's going to be awesome so you have that to look forward to. So I get excited about stuff. It's like Christmas for me when I get up here and talk about new series that we're going to do. But here we are. We're in the Lord's Prayer part Who knows it? Part five. Part five. And so welcome back to this series. Have y'all been liking this? Has it been good for y'all? I hope your prayer lives have been enriched. And so we've we've got today and then one more Sunday, and then we're done with the Lord's Prayer. It only took, you know, by that time, you know, I think we started, you know, we got five messages here. I I could make it go another three, but we're going to do this one and one more and be done. Is that good? Is that good? Okay, I think that's good. All right. Well, if you're taking notes today, uh, the title of my message very simply is this. The title is Pardon, Pardon Us. Pardon Us. You'll know what I mean here in a minute by that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you. Come on, let's lift our hands today. Father, thank you that you have provided for us. We thank you today that you have pardoned us And we thank you for your grace and your mercy, your mercies that are brand new every single day. And we say along with Jeremiah, great is your faithfulness, oh God. And Lord, I thank you as we we arose today, you had stored up brand new mercies for every trouble, for every trial, for everything we had faced today. And Lord, we thank you. Come on, let's lift our hands high. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your goodness toward us. And Lord, I pray today that you would give us a greater understanding of just how free we really are, just how forgiven we really are. And so, our Father, you are in heaven and we look to you today. We look to you for every good thing. So open up our hearts and open up our minds today. We surrender to you today. And I pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our lives. We thank you today. We give you praise today. 
in the mighty, exalted name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Come on, put your hands together for the Lord. We love you, God. We thank you. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Give him what he deserves. God, we thank you. We honor you. We honor you. All right, well, let's pick it up today in uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. If you're ready, say ready. Let's read it together. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in, in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's stop right there in verse 12. Now, just to summarize... The first three petitions of this prayer focus on our Father, on His name, on His kingdom, and on His will. Y'all remember? Our Father, His name, His kingdom, and His will. The last three petitions, well, shifts from our Father to our, our daily what? Our daily bread. We can say our provision. Today we're going to look at our pardon, and then next Sunday it'll be our protection. Does that make sense? So it starts with our Father. Let's do it one more time. Our Father, His name, His kingdom, His will, and then today our, we've talked about our, our what? Provision. Today is our pardon, and finally we'll look at our protection, the protection God offers us. And so with that, I, I want to begin this morning by talking about a nasty, really nasty, bad four-letter word. A really nasty, bad four-letter word. It's one that you all know. It's one that probably everyone has experienced or participated in at some point in your life. And it's a word that is often avoided. But it's something that, again, many of us, if not most, if not all, maybe have experienced. And that word is debt. Debt, D-E-B-T, debt. The statistics show that over 70% of Americans are in some kind of financial debt. Don't raise your hand. You know who you are. Uh, credit card debt, auto loan debt, home debt. You fill in the blank. There's a lot of debt out there. And I think the, the sort that is most common is credit card debt. Now, let's be honest. How many of y'all know it's easy to use a credit card? If you don't have enough money for the week, and, you know, or maybe you, know, you just happen to be a convenient purchase because you're trying to get airline miles or whatever, it's really easy to use your credit card. But how many of y'all know oftentimes it's easy to use your credit card but not always easy to pay when the bill comes. And y'all know that stake that you charged, you put your credit card down for, if you don't pay that thing off in the next statement, you're going to be paying on that stake, and not just the stake, but what comes with that? What is it? Interest, yeah. And so it's easy to put down a credit card, but when you get your statement, you not only get what you've charged, that amount, you also get that, that amount plus the interest and how many of y'all know Colin Discover saying Jesus paid it all won't work with Discover Card? <laughs> how many of y'all know it don't work with American Express? 
How many of y'all know they don't want Jesus to pay it? They want you to pay it because you made the charge. But some people say, well, you know, Jesus, he provided, God provided. No, actually, your credit card company provided. That's a whole other message. But, but, but let, let, me, let me switch gears just for a minute. Uh, I, can I tell on myself? Okay, can, can I do that? I'm going to do it anyway. I just want you all to feel like you're involved. Go. Okay, okay. So, so um, back in midsummer, Pastor Josh Belt asked me to come preach in Jennings. And I said, Pastor Josh, you don't ever have to ask me twice to preach. I, I love to preach. I just wake up. Let's, let's get it on. Well, I had a message that I, 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 I tailor-made just for the Jennings campus. And so I, I like to do my, I have my routine on Saturday. I cut the grass, go about my routine. And then almost um, every Saturday at around, uh, around anywhere from, well, it's a range, from like 7 to like 10, right in that range, I like to print my sermon notes. Uh, or now I have my iPad, and so I can actually see better. I've got this nice, it's so bright. But uh, back then I didn't have the iPad. So uh, because I was going to Jennings, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, and I'm going to print my notes, and I'm going to go to the Lafayette campus. Well, I went there because it's closest to my house. Now, I don't know what kind of operation they're running in Lafayette, but the printer won't work there. I went, trying to print my notes. The printer is just like laughing at me. And how many of y'all know the devil will get up in our electronics and test our faith? So I'm there at the Lafayette campus. I'm trying to print my notes, but the printer is like giving me all these error messages. So I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going home because I don't want to get up early to print my notes at Midtown to then drive to Jennings. I want my notes on Saturday. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go from the Lafayette campus. I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to the Midtown campus where the printer always works. That's actually not true. But anyway, I, so I'm going to Midtown. So I, can't, I was on the way here. I hung a right uh, from East Broussard onto Johnston. And I was going about my merry way, full of faith. Couldn't wait to print my notes to get back home to go to sleep. Well, I turned right onto Johnston. And I guess I'd gone about a quarter of a mile. And then I looked in my rearview mirror. And there was a blue light special. There was a motorcycle officer with his blue, his light on, lights on, flashing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Well, I pull over. He comes around to the side. My wind is down. And he was very nice. He said, sir, did you know you were speeding? You know what I told him? Before God Honestly, I didn't know I was speeding. I wasn't paying any attention. I was going down Johnston, and there was like wide open traffic, or wide open streets, and I'm like, okay, I'm just on a mission to get to Midtown. I wasn't thinking anything about it. And that's, that's the truth. And he, and he said, well, yeah, you were going over the speed limit. And I said, officer, I am so sorry. Honestly, I'm so sorry. I've gotten like two speeding tickets in like 13 years, Okay. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm having this conversation with him, and then my laptop is right there in the passenger seat. And I pointed at it, and I said, I said here's the story, officer. I was on the way to church <laughs> to print my sermon notes, hoping that that might help the situation a little. But in so many words, he said, that's nice, but I still got to write you a ticket. And so here's what happened. He, he wrote me a ticket. He said, call this number in a couple weeks, and you, you can pay for it, whatever. Okay, well, 
I left, went and you know, came here and printed my notes, and then uh, I'm, I'm like obsessing about this. I'm like, I can't believe I got a speeding ticket. I got to pay this as fast as I can. So a couple of weeks go by, I call city court. They don't have any record of my speeding ticket. Two weeks go by, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks go by. They have no record whatsoever that I was issued a speeding ticket. And I called a couple police officers. I said, hey, what's going on? They said, I have no idea. Keep calling. I kept calling. And they were saying to me there, they, they said, well, your, your, your ticket may have gotten lost in the system. And to me, that's a way of saying, Jesus paid it all. <laughs> right? And, and like, I'm like, maybe he did. Maybe Jesus is just trying to teach me a lesson, making me sweat it out a while. Week five went by, week six, week seven. At the end of week seven, I called, and sure enough, my ticket was in the system. And I was so frustrated because I'd called. I mean, they're getting tired of hearing my voice. I think they, they know me by my voice when I call. I called so many times. There was my ticket in the system, $180 ticket for speeding. Now, yeah, well, I thought it was going to be like 400 People say, well, tickets can go from 80 to 100 to 400 whatever. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm just expecting the worst. But, but here's the deal. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay this ticket, of course, as quickly as I can, but, but here's the way that this went down. How many of y'all know Jesus truly did pay for our sins? But listen, I broke the law, and so that's on me. It's on me to pay that ticket. And so when, when I think about this story, yes, it's true, Jesus paid for all of my sins, but he did not pay my speeding ticket. I, I broke the law. Keyword, I broke the law, so I must pay the ticket. Here's what I've written. See if this makes sense. Some of us here have broken the law of the land, but every single one of us has broken the law of God without exception. Without exception. Some of you have gotten tickets, U-turns, running red lights. I've never seen a place like Lafayette or just Acadiana where people run red lights. Have y'all seen that? And I'm like, what are y'all doing? And I've seen police officers just watch them, and I'm like, no, stop. But, but, but you, maybe you got a ticket for this or for that. You've broken the law of the land, maybe some of you. But every one of us here have broken the law of God without exception, and by nature, and by practice, we are guilty before God. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? And I am going to pay my $180 ticket, gladly. Well, no, not gladly. I'm going to pay it. But how many of y'all know, the Bible teaches that we owe a debt to God because he, we've broken his law, and it's a debt that we can never repay. The $180 bill, fine, penalty, that's enough. But we all here owe a debt to God that no matter how hard we try, no matter how long we live, we will never on our own be able to repay that debt that we owe God because of our sin. And here's the truth. The Bible's clear on this. The more that you try to pay off that debt through your works, the deeper in debt you go. Boy, that's bad news, isn't it? That's bad. That's really, really bad news. On your own, where you sit, 
by yourself, by myself, it is impossible to repay the debt because of our sin. But how many of y'all are thankful for the good news of Jesus and the gospel that teaches that we can't, but there is someone who can. There is someone who did come to pay our debt. How many of y'all love the name of Jesus because he is the one who came to wipe the slate clean? Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Listen carefully. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... Look at the language. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all. Everybody say all. All our trespasses by canceling the record of what? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its what? Legal demands. You've broken the law, God's law, and there's a legal demand issued against your life by canceling it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he did what? He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now that's a mouthful, but how many of y'all know that's glorious? If you understand even part of that, that is glorious. But first note this, Paul says, that all of us, we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. Not sick, we're that too, but much worse than that, we're dead. We're sick. So how many of y'all know when we, when we sin, like that's a sick decision to make. Sin is sick. How many of y'all know sin makes you stupid? To sin is stupid, but we all do it, right? But, but theologically, we're not primarily, we're not, we're not sick, we're, we're dead. We're dead, we are unable on our own to bring ourselves to life, we are unable on our own to pay the debt. So Paul says we were dead. We were dead, not sick. But then he says, but God did something in us, through us, and for us that we could never do. God brought us to life. Having forgiven all, everybody say all, all our trespasses, that is our false steps, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Man, that's really good news. Scholars have pointed out in ancient culture, in, in Roman culture, whenever someone was crucified, they would often attach a note. They would nail a note, a record, uh, uh, so to speak, of of criminal activity, of what that person had done that, that, that merited that person being crucified on the cross. So there would be a note, a record attached to that person which listed his crimes. How many of y'all know when Jesus died for us, not his crimes, but yours, your sin was nailed to him, with him on that cross, every misstep Every sin, every transgression you've committed, it was nailed to the cross on the tree. He paid for every single sin, not in part, but the whole. Every single one you'll commit was paid for. He made satisfaction so that you could be free today. But there's this written record. Not just, we're not just naughty by nature and sinful by nature. It's not just who we are. It's what we do apart from Christ. The Bible's clear. This is who we are. There is a teaching going around saying 
that, well, uh, Adam's sin was mistaken identity. That that's what sin is, it's mistaken identity. And that's totally wrong. Adam did not sin because of mistaken identity. Adam did not sin because he forgot who he was. Adam sinned because he disregarded what God said. That's the Bible. 1 John 3, 4, sin is not mistaken identity. Now, that can happen, but sin in its, in its essence is this. It is law-breaking. It is lawlessness. So when we sin, watch this. When we sin, that is cosmic treason against our Creator. And yes, it's important for you to know who you are in Christ. It's important for you to know that you're a child of God. But you need to know before that, you were born. We were born into this world. And we are objects of wrath. We are the children of wrath. Until God does a work in us, he brings us from death to life. He forgives all of our sins. He makes us brand new. And as new creations, we begin to do new things. But how many of y'all are thankful that even though we've all committed high treason against God and broken his law, that God is rich in mercy. He is rich in love as a father shows compassion on his children. So our father shows compassion on us and toward us when we repent. How many of y'all are thankful for that? Are y'all with me? So, So Paul was saying, but... This is who we were, but God has done this work in us. He's brought us to life, having forgiven, forgiven all of our, 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 our debt, erased it. The word, the word here in the Greek, it means cancel, means wipe out. It means erase. It means obliterate. Receipts have actually been recovered from the ancient world, tax receipts, with one word on those receipts at the bottom. And the word, the Greek word is tetelestai, meaning translated in that context, paid in full. How many of y'all know what Jesus said just before he died on the cross? One word in Greek, three in English, tetelestai, it is finished. It is paid for. Jesus paid for your missteps. He paid for your transgressions. Your bill of debt was nailed to him, nailed to that cross. Therefore, you don't have to bear it any longer. Are y'all with me? I'm working here. Y'all getting this? That's what Paul says. And if you say anything different, then you got to wrestle with what Paul says here when he says, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. Jesus took care of it. Are y'all tracking? So, the law of sin and death will not have the final word in our lives as believers. Jesus had the final word when he spoke the word to tell us, it is finished, it is done. Our sins are paid for. Praise God. Your guilt, your shame, all of it was atoned for. When we hear this word atonement, people will get tripped up on it. They're like, that's a big theological word. Listen, it is a theological word, but if you're a Christian, you're a theologian. Either a good one or a bad one. Let me teach you all something. When you hear the word atonement, think this. God, through Christ, provided at one meant. 
We were estranged. We were far from God because of our sin. We are thankful that Christ came down and brought us to the Father. We are now at one with the Father because of atonement at one. Does this make sense? He made us one. So we can come before the Father and pray our Father because of Jesus the Son who has brought us into relationship with him. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we say yes and amen. Is this, is this making sense? So Paul, Paul here, I know we're in the Lord's Prayer, but I had to get that off my chest. Paul says that all this took place through Christ. God's done it in him, but he's not done. Paul also says that God, listen carefully, that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by what? Triumphing over them in him. What? God put Rulers and authorities to open shame. Who are the rulers and the authorities? The demonic powers that stood against you, the demonic voices that accused you before Christ. You were under the condemnation, but now we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places above all the noise, above all the condemnation. We are now above reproach, seated with him, forgiven by him, with him in heavenly places, over the authorities with Christ. Does this make sense? Seated with him above it all. We're with him above it all. But I love the language here. Jesus, by his cross death, let me, let me say it my own way. Put your enemies to shame. He put to shame those voices of accusation that sought to shame you. He shamed them when he died on the cross in his state of shame, taking on your sin. He put shame to shame. He put an end to what would have ended you, all that debt that you owed him. Jesus canceled it, and it's all done. By his amazing grace, through his incredible mercy, he disarmed every demonic accusation against us that says we're guilty, that we're guilty. How many of y'all know we are? But in Christ, we're not. We were, now we're not. By nature we are, but because of Christ we're not any longer. We are acquitted, we are justified. Jesus stripped them of their legal power to accuse and condemn. And through his shame, he put them to shame. And this is a picture, picture this with me. In, in Roman culture, of a defeated foe being led through the streets, an army, soldiers stripped of their weaponry stripped of their military garb, with their heads down, with the, the victorious king leading them in procession. Picture an army being shamed through the streets. That's what Christ did to the enemy who stood against you. He put them to shame. We've said it before. The devil put shame on you. Jesus came to take it off you. And I love these truths that we see from Paul. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, we become justified. This means that God forgives our debt. He pays the ticket. He rips up that ticket and declares that we are righteous in his sight. Boy, what beautiful truths on a Sunday morning. Where you sit in Christ by faith, you are righteous in God's sight. 
and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and lives to make intercession for us. He lives to make you strong. He lives to strengthen you. He lives as your high priest. That's why you, you don't need to go, and I'm, I don't want to be disrespectful here, but you don't need to go to the priest down the street because you can kneel before your great high priest who lives in heaven who makes intercession for you and absolves you because of his cross death and because of his blood, you are forgiven and you're righteous. Amen? Amen. All right, I had to get all that off my chest. Pastor Scott, why did you go through all that? Well, let me, show, let me show you. In the fifth petition, we are to pray the following. Father, forgive us our what? Our debts, as we also have forgiven our, our debtors. Now, why would we pray that in light of everything I just said? If we are forgiven... Why pray for forgiveness? Fair question, right? Well, there are a lot of different interpretations on this. Let me give you mine. Take it or leave it. I hope you take it. We are forgiven. How many of y'all know right now, by faith, you are forgiven? As you have faith in Christ and you have repented and continue to repent, we're right with God. Now, there are some who say you don't need to repent once you become a Christian. And then you're left with, well, the New Testament, basically, uh, having to work through a lot of passages that tell us that we still, as believers, should repent. Jesus here says, for, for disciples, for us, by extension for us today, to pray this way, Father, forgive us. That's why the title, pardon us. Part, pardon, we say, pardon, pardon me, pardon us. Father, pardon us as we pardon others. Why do we do that? Why do we pray that? Well, we are forgiven, but how many of y'all know we still sin? We do. Now, there's some who are going to say, well, Pastor Scott, we're, we're, we're born again. The seed of God abides in us, so we can't go on sinning. And they'll quote 1 John, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. What 1 John is saying, as believers, we should not make a practice of sinning. But sin remains in our lives. On your best day... I promise you, you have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength to the fullest extent and to the perfection God requires. There's only one man who did that, and it was the God-man, Jesus. I promise you, on your best day, thank God that there were, there were things that you, that you knew that you should do, that you did, but there are sins of omission, sins of commission. <laughs> Living right before God is not just abstaining from the bad things that you shouldn't do, it's also being faithful to do the right things God's called you to do. Does that make sense? I promise you every day of your life, there is some good that you failed to do. There was some bad that you avoided, but there's probably some good that you failed to do. Now, we don't fall into condemnation over that and be like, oh, no, we, we just recognize it and realize, though, we are forgiven. We are forgiven. We are the children of God. But as children, we still misstep. We still blow it. We still, and listen, Jesus not only gets at what we do in the Sermon on the Mount, but why we do it. Who in here could say that every motivation in your heart throughout the day is 100% pure? You, if anybody raises your hand, may the Lord be with you. 
Now, I don't want you to hear that and say, well, you know, we're just, we're just sinners and we're just always going to be that way and like settle in sin. God does not want us to settle. For, how many of y'all know sanctification is a process whereby over time we sin less and less and become more like Jesus? And if you're a believer, you're in that process with me. How many of y'all are thankful for it? It's the process. It's a process. And the process is filled with grace and mercy, and it must be filled with repentance. And, and, and you know, I, I think some churches probably uh, grow faster, and some ministries get bigger when that word repentance is left out. Because, let's be honest, repentance is not a nice word as far as most of us understand it. Now, once you come to understand biblically what it is, you're like, no, repentance is actually a blessing. But when, 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 when we get up and we just offer the promises of God without the qualification of faith and repentance, some of y'all know that's not the full gospel presentation. Listen carefully. We are forgiven, but we still sin. And when we sin, we offend God. We offend him. And, by necessity, our sin disrupts our fellowship with him. Now, let me go slowly here. I'm not saying because you sin daily that you lose your salvation daily. Some of you maybe were raised to believe that. That if you blow it, you got to go back. you you got to jump through all these hoops to get back in it. And, and that wasn't repentance. It was hoops and good works and things you had to do to be right. Well, there is a time to make restitution for sure. But listen to me. When you sin daily, you don't lose your salvation daily. When you sin, whenever that is, you disrupt your fellowship with God. And that needs to be restored. Let me give you an example from my own life. I have four children. And sometimes... My children are, are disobedient. Sometimes they are. When they are, I discipline them. But let, let me just use an example. If Carson is disobedient to me, how many of y'all know? There's a breach. There, there's, a, um, there's, a, there's a gap in our relationship. There's a disruption of our fellowship. But when he does that, that doesn't mean that Carson is no longer my son he is still my son, but in order for us to walk in fellowship and to be in agreement, here's what I've written. The way that we restore fellowship is by ownership of our sin. If you want fellowship with someone, maybe you've had in, in, in a relational level with someone, maybe your relationship has been disrupted because of some sin that's been committed. How many of y'all know you cannot walk, let's go at this level, in close, authentic relationship and fellowship where there has been sin. You can't walk in it. You can't experience it. And the only way to restore fellowship when it's broken is through ownership. Saying, you know what? I was wrong. Listen, those are some of the most powerful words you could ever say to God and to people. Y'all know that people like to fight for the right and like to plead their cause and justify themselves. Anybody in here like to do that? Ladies, just take your husband's hand like that. And vice versa, maybe. I mean, powerful words. It was me. I did it, and I'm sorry. Dad, I'm sorry. And when Carson says that to me, and Carson's done nothing recently, I'm just using this as an example. He was my son the whole time. 
But when he owns, there's ownership of sin, then we can have close fellowship once again. And I can bring him in and say, baby, dad's always loved you. You blew it. But I want to be like my father, my heavenly father who shows me mercy. I would be a fool to withhold that same mercy to you when you ask for it. He gives it to me every day, and I'm going to give it to you every time you need it. How many of y'all know that's the kind of people we should be? That's the kind of people we should be. So the way to restore fellowship is by ownership of our sin. That's what this petition is, the fifth petition. Father, please forgive us our debts. And when we do, ownership of sin is proof, listen carefully, of our sonship. Ownership of sin is the evidence of our sonship for the Father. Because listen carefully, sons and daughters of God run to God, not away from God. I don't mean automatically. Sometimes because of sin, we run and we hide in shame like Adam and Eve. But a correct understanding of God and the gospel, when you get it, after you blow it, you say, you know what, I blew it. I sinned, I misstepped, but I serve a good, good, merciful Father. And so instead of running away from Him, I'm going to run to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace to help me in my time of need. And every time you go and you show up with that heart attitude, God will open the windows of heaven over your life and show you as much mercy as you need. But that's what sons and daughters should do. We run to Him. Not away from it. And we own our stuff. How many of y'all know God already knows what you've done? He doesn't necessarily need to hear it. It's you and me. We need to confess it to say the same thing. We agree with God about ourselves, what we've done. But even more, confession is, God, I agree with you that you say you are who you say you are. You're a merciful God. So I'm confessing that. Father, forgive me. Forgive us our debts. And I love what J.I. Packer says about the Lord's Prayer. This prayer is not about praying to God as judge. It's about praying to him as our father who provides, yes, daily provision, but also daily pardon as often as we need it. How many are thankful for that? He's a good, good, merciful father. But he loves us so much, he will not tolerate ongoing rebellion against his will. And when we do, how many of y'all know, God will spank our heavenly behinds. <laughs> it's called the discipline of God. The discipline, and thank God, many of y'all were spanked as children. Some of you, you weren't, you're, but you're disciplined in other ways. How many of y'all know, however you're disciplined, as long as it was in the right spirit and it wasn't abusive, Good discipline. It might hurt now, but it saves you from harm later. Those of you who are disciplined, you know what I'm talking about. God disciplines us. And sometimes, sometimes we will walk in sin and the Lord will allow that season of sin to be very, 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 very difficult for us. Sometimes sin is pleasurable. The Bible says it is for a season. It is for a season. But how many of y'all know that season expires? And then you're left with 
the consequences of your decision. And the aim is when you're in that sin to feel the weight of it, how it's affected God and the people in your life, and then come to your senses and say, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against these people, and you run back to the Father, and you make full confession, and when you do, he offers full pardon for all of it. That's the way we should think about our sins. So our sins are paid for, and it's a paradox. At the same time, we're supposed to go regularly to the Father. And I think that this petition, see if you agree here, it's really a way of us posturing ourselves before God as a reminder of just how much we need him as his children. We need his daily provision, but we also need the regular pardon that he provides. And in this prayer, sometimes this next part is overlooked, but I want to hit it for just a minute or two. Jesus says, we should pray this way, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our, our debtors, the people who've sinned against us. So the way I've phrased this is as follows. Knowing that we are in right standing with God vertically, so to speak, should impact our relationships horizontally. In other words, God has given us grace, mercy, pardon at this level. And wouldn't we be foolish to withhold that same grace and mercy and forgiveness from other people? Jesus says that we are to pray this way. And it's an attitude that we are to have, a posture. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This petition reminds us of the ongoing need for pardon. But it also reminds us of the ongoing need to pardon. We need it, and we need to extend it. Thank God for his amazing grace and his mercy shown every day. We need it. There's a need for it, but there's a need also to extend it. Listen to what Jesus says. Let me go very slowly here. See, you feel the weight of this in, in an appropriate way. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Jesus says, right after the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your what? Your trespasses. Now, Jesus is not prescribing works-based Salvation, to say that your salvation is dependent upon your ability to forgive others. How many of y'all know we'd be in very big trouble? We're never going to be able to perfectly, every single time throughout our lives, to perfectly forgive. But because that's the case, we shouldn't just say, well, you know, we can't really do it, so let's not even try. No, basically, Jesus, what he's saying here is that, let me flip it around in the positive sense. If you are a believer and you've been forgiven and you've received the riches of God's mercy, it is unthinkable for you, for me, to live in such a way to withhold the very free mercy, the free forgiveness that we have received from other people. It's unthinkable. What Jesus is basically saying is if you live this way, you're not really walking as a forgiven child of God. If you walk, if we walk 
in unforgiveness, we cannot experience true fellowship with God. Let me say it again a different way. We cannot walk in fellowship with God if we withhold forgiveness from other people. In other words, you can't sit around and say, I can't either. Man, I've got this great relationship with God. Man, I'm feel, I got, have intimacy with him. I walk with him. I talk to him. We've got great fellowship. We cannot authentically say that if we have failed to forgive those who've sinned against us. Because the very essence of what it means to be a Christian is absolute total dependence on the free, radical, generous, eternal mercy of God. And to receive that, but fail to give that, is a major contradiction. So Jesus says, if we don't forgive others, our Father won't forgive us, which means that we cannot have authentic fellowship with God if we're bitter, if we hold on to offenses, if we fail to forgive, we cannot have authentic fellowship with God. Y'all feel that? Feel it with me. Not as condemnation, but like Jesus takes relationships very seriously. Ours with him and ours with one another. He takes it very, very seriously. And we should too. But how many times should we forgive? Somebody would ask, you know, okay, all right, Father, sure. But like, is there a limit? Like, surely you've had people in your life that have driven you so crazy and have sinned so many times against you that like, you've maybe looked in the Bible like, there's got to be a number somewhere that they've exceeded, right? Raise your hand if, you have, if you've had somebody in your life that has driven you crazy, has sinned against you, and it's not just a handful of times, it's like a lot. Yeah, pretty much everybody. You don't have to raise your hand. Pretty much everybody. How many times do we forgive? In Matthew 18, 21, Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Don't you love Peter? He's doing some math here. He's putting a number to it. Well, in Jewish rabbinical thought, three was considered generous. Three times to forgive. That was considered generous. Well, Peter, I think after walking with Jesus for a while, <laughs> knowing he'd misstepped and had his issues, here we see Peter bumping it up. How many of y'all know? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many of y'all are thankful? I know Peter sure was that God's grace and mercy don't run out on that third time. Peter said, up to seven? Yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah. Well, that's like another level altogether. How many of y'all know before Christ, before you had a revelation of the mercy and the grace of God, I'll, I'll say this, we, I wanted to put a limit on the times that I would forgive people. 
But after I came into a relationship with the Lord, and the more that I grow in it and have a deeper revelation of His mercy and grace, the more willing I have been over the years to not put a number on it. Because if God put a number on me, I would have been finished a long time ago. How about y'all? How many of y'all would be in deep trouble if the Lord only forgave you seven times? The trap door would open and the angel sang and another one bites the dust. <laughs> a long time ago, right? Michael leading the, the choir and another one and another one and another one. There they go. Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times in this translation, or seven times 70. In other words, you just offer it as, as often as, as, as required, as needed. You just give it. You don't think about the cap. You don't think about a number. As often as your brother or sister sins against you, you freely forgive them. Years ago, I'll close with this story. Some of you have heard me share this. Years ago when Carson was, about, I guess he was about four years old, Carson had this eraser fetish. Like, he loved erasers. And so he loved to go to the Dollar General store, loved to go to wherever they sold the eraser. So one day, it's me and Carson time. I went and got me a Starbucks. We went to, I, th I think it was the Dollar General store. And we went to, y'all know that it was like a, a pencil pen eraser aisle. And we went over, and we're going through, and had all these erasers. And, like, I found a six-pack of erasers. And I pointed at the erasers, and I said, Carson, how about, how about the six-pack? And Carson goes, uh. I said, what do you want then, baby? And he points just over, over to the right. And there's another eraser, just one, and it's like this big. And it said, for really big mistakes. <laughs> and I'm like, buddy, that'll preach. <laughs> how many are thankful we serve a heavenly father who has an eraser for all of our little mistakes and all of our big ones. There's no sin too big if repented of that he can't cancel, erase, and obliterate. And as the children of God, how many of y'all know, we should walk around with an eraser for people's really big mistakes. God has wiped our slate clean. We should be quick to do the same with other people. C.S. Lewis said, everybody thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. But listen, we are the forgiven people of God, aren't we? Aren't we? Come on, church. We're the forgiven people of God, aren't we? So in conclusion, forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people that's who we are I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying by forgiving someone you're saying that what they did was in any way right it was wrong but when you forgive you release and God wants you to be free to walk in wholeness not having that burden on you any longer he wants them to walk the same way how many of y'all know he wants us to be close in close fellowship with him and with each other that's what Jesus died to provide for us, a community of forgiven people. And as we conclude, I want you to just lift your hands with me. Our Father in heaven,
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us, say it with me, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive those indebted to us. Father, I pray right now, right where we sit, with your hands lifted right now, first of all, let's get things in order. If you have broken God's law, if you have violated your conscience and you have not repented, right now before the Lord, right now before him, right where you sit, if it's an attitude, if it's an action, if you know you've in some way misstepped, right now, just before the Lord, say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive us our debt. Some of you have been walking around with unconfessed sin. Man, it's been a big burden on you. It's been a big burden. You feel it. Jesus died to remove it, to pay the penalty for it. Right now, just repent. Say, Father, I'm so sorry for misstepping. I want to walk in fellowship with you. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, walking in fellowship with the Lord means running. It's more than this, but it means running to prayer with confidence. It means running before the Father to pray, my, our Father, my Father. It, it, there's confidence. When you know you're forgiven, you run to him, not away from him. And so right now, just with your hands lifted, right now, just receive by faith the forgiving pardon of God. And as you receive that, number two, here's what I want you to do. I want you to search your heart and your mind right now. If there's anyone in your life you have not forgiven, right now I want you to resolve in the presence of God that today, today, do not let the sun go down today without calling that person, going to get with that person, to release that person. Forgiveness, forgiveness comes from the heart. But oftentimes reconciliation comes at the table. Some of you might need to get at the table with someone face to face and forgive them so that you can walk free. So Father, we thank you. Come on, one more time, let's lift our hands high. Father, I thank you for your amazing love, for your amazing grace. We thank you for the great gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we herald today, that I preach today, that we believe today. We are your people and you are our God. And we are so thankful, God, to be forgiven today and to be a part of what you're doing here on the earth. So, Father, we pray these things with great confidence and we do so in the awesome, mighty name of Jesus. And everybody here said, come on, y'all, amen and amen. Would you stand? How many of you are thankful for that forgiveness and that message today? Hey, if you are, if, if you've entered into a relationship with Jesus, you're saved and you've been forgiven, one of your next steps may be to be water baptized. If you've been saved and you've never made a public declaration of that, we have water baptisms coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, you can sign up for that. We also, this Thursday at 6.30 p.m., have a foster care interest meeting. Whether you're just interested in fostering or helping those that are fostering, you can show up and get more information about that. And lastly, on Monday the 18th, we're having a men's night. We're going to be watching the Saints game. There'll be a lot of awesome food. We're playing the Panthers. We don't like the Panthers. 
So if you like the Saints and dislike the Panthers, I don't even look at Panthers at the zoo. I dislike them so much. But, men, we'll see you that Monday. We'll have some great food. And we know we always have a lot of announcements. If you text OSC Midtown, all one word, to 94000, 94000, we'll give you reminders about all these things, how you can sign up. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. I pray that you bless it. May it be glorious. May we just have a great day filled with family, food, fun. In Jesus' name, amen. See y'all soon. Of deception, caught up in my own hesitation.